Today on Ag News Daily. Somehow the, the, the U.S. farmer always finds a way to, to make uh, good yields and high quality products to help ensure that there, there is no famine in the world. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff on the Ag News Daily Podcast today, brought to you by our soy checkoff. Tanner, we got quite a bit of rain last night. Yeah, here in central Iowa, our friends out in the fields won't be in the fields today. I had over an inch pushing an inch and a half overnight. That is a lot. I have no idea how much we got because we don't have a rain gauge and I was just thinking we need to get one. So if any of our seed customer or seed dealer listeners want to mail me one, that'd be great. But uh, <laughs> it was loud enough and long enough to wake me up and keep me awake for a little while. So I feel like we got quite a bit. Yeah, I think uh, some would say that it's welcomed and others are going to tell you that not so much because there was a lot of planning progress made here in the last seven days. but. Very few people can chalk up their season to being done. Yeah, we're pretty darn close, but not quite. And I think uh, this rain we got here across central Iowa for sure is going to put a little bit of a pause on planting, but certainly are seeing folks continue to get in and get planted. But Tanner, while we're talking about weather impacting the crops that we're seeing going in the ground right now, we've got the hard winter wheat tour going on right now in Kansas. Yesterday was day one kicking off the tour in Kansas. And so as we talked about earlier this week, the scout's job is it's very similar to the pro farmer crop tour that we see later on this year in August. But essentially this group of farmers and agronomists and ag folks go out and tour various fields in Kansas, Nebraska, I can't remember, oh, the Dakotas, and pull what they think will be yield estimates coming out of those fields. And so yesterday, day one, the average hard winter wheat yield totaled 39 and a half bushels per acre. Now, the tour tour made 248 stops through central and northern Kansas, which is a lot. I don't know how you make that many stops, but they said the crop is largely what they expected. Wheat was better in the eastern part of the state of Kansas, but still dry with with some yields up to about 45 to 65 bushels per acre, while fields in the west were significantly lower, anywhere from 10 to 15 bushel per acre yield estimates. So really varied across the state of Kansas is the headline there, Tanner. Yeah, article here from John Bernick, the meteorologist, one of the meteorologists for DTN, was kind of talking about the weather patterns that we're seeing. So got rain overnight, obviously, here is in part of the Corn Belt, uh, stated that there is a pattern that will continue through the first part of June of wetter than normal forecasts for most of the Corn Belt. Now, really hit on North Dakota, Minnesota, stating that their pattern continues to be even wetter than wetter than normal. I don't know necessarily how wet you can get if wetter than normal is uh, already a factor. But then talked about that area you just described where those those drought conditions across the southwestern plains will continue to be a thorn in the side for these salivating wheat prices were his exact words. So um, he doesn't have a lot of great news. It sounds like the weather pattern that you are in right now is the weather pattern that uh, you will be in for the next three or four weeks. But 
we had a avid listener and good friend of ours, Corey Hillebo, send me an email with a link last night for some details that came out on the old WIP program. So if everybody's familiar with that, WIP is the Wildfire and Hurricane Indemnity Program. It is now called the Emergency Relief Program. So much broader based uh, and is going to cover a lot of the drought victims. Uh, as you look to see if you are eligible, they have now sent out all of the qualifying counties for 2020 and 2021. In order to be eligible, you must have had a crop that was available for crop insurance and was subject to a qualifying national disaster, which again could be a wildfire, hurricanes, floods, derechos, excess heat, winter storm, smoke exposure, or excess moisture. And those counties are out there now that we can take a look at. It does look like Specialty crops are limited to 125000 All other crops have another $125,000 payment limit for all of the crops when you combine them. There is no adjusted gross income limit. However, if your farm does exceed 75% of the total AGI, then your payment limit will bump up. So you do need to go in and have a conversation to see one if you qualify and two, what your limits are going to be. But when I took a look at both charts, Delaney, Story County, Iowa was on both lists. So if you are a local mm -hmm. listener to where I sit while we record, you might want to go check that out. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of different counties on that list, Tanner. Does it have a total number of counties or Areas no, but it, it was like 11 pages. So there are okay. a significant number of counties. Yes, no doubt. Well, Tanner, speaking of the state of Iowa, we saw Governor Reynolds sign some important legislation yesterday, Tuesday afternoon. And that legislation opens up E15 year round and will expand access to E15 and other biofuels throughout the state by 2026. I think we've talked about this bill just a little bit on the podcast, but the Iowa Biofuels Access Bill will expand the availability of B20, a blend of diesel and biodiesel, bio as well as E15, and will force infrastructure around the state of gas companies or gas stations to be forced to have pumps that offer E15 and B20 by 2026. There's only about 300 gas stations in Iowa that currently offer E15. And when the bill is fully implemented, they will see more than a thousand stations offering E15. Yeah, it looks like by a percentage, only 17% of those fuel stations right now offer that. So uh, looking to get that more, much more widespread her quote was, I've never been more prouder than I am today to be governor of the number one ethanol and biofuel producing state. So it only makes sense, Selene, that if we're going to make it here, we might as well sell more of it here. Right. And for those companies that don't currently have that infrastructure, there will be tax credits for uh, stations that offer B11 and higher. Um, so they're, they are doing and taking some steps to make sure that that infrastructure cost isn't solely on the gas station. Absolutely. No, that, that is great. But here, let's take a quick little break for a message from our sponsor this week. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? 
by pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. All right, staying on the weather front a little bit. Just wanted a quick hit update here from Mexico's governor. She, uh, they reported on Tuesday that given the ferocity and or the ferocity and swift movements of their record-setting wildfire, there are still plenty of people in danger. So it's nice to see that we got the updates on the ERP, the WIP program, because they are estimating. Uh, she's estimating more than 1,500 structures will be burned in this. Unfortunately, they got a little bit of rain Monday night, uh, but it was not enough to affect this. So far, it has charred more than 470 square miles. It has burned for over 42 days and is now officially the largest fire currently burning in the United States. So we had touched a little bit on that story, Delaney. I just wanted to give an update that that is still out there and burning. But we jump across the pond for my next story here with the European Commission. So the European Union has made a move to jumpstart plans on a 27-nation block to abandon Russian energy. Obviously, that is amid the Kremlin's war on Ukraine, proposing a nearly $315 billion package to make them more efficient on their use of fuels and create a faster rollout on their renewable power. So 27 countries are working on weaning themselves off the Russian fossil fuels. This year, their goal is to deprive Russia as their current main supplier supplier of oil, natural gas, and coal to financially cause hardship. So this comes right along the side of Delaney, like we've talked, the, the European Commission has been pretty strict on uh, monitoring climate change and emissions, especially for our our friends who farm in the European Union. But this is another reason for them to push forward for more sustainable practices and other relationships so that they can replace the reliance on Russian fuels. Well, and Tanner, right along with that here, we're continuing to see Ukraine try to make efforts and progress to develop their grain export options. You know, we've talked a lot about developing rail options through some of their western bordered state uh, countries, but a new statement made by the country's deputy economic minister said that even with their progress they've made getting grain exports via land out to the EU, they still need to be able to regain access to the blocked seaports. Otherwise, the food crisis is going to worsen. They said that logistically, they have been able to see significant improvements in rail freight. However, even if Ukraine managed to double monthly grain exports via land routes to around 2 million metric tons, that would not compensate the loss of its seaports. They usually are around 6 million metric tons of grain out through their seaports. So they said failure to reestablish a sea trade route in the coming months could prolong global food tensions and potentially lead to uh, issues again for next year's food system. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a quick fix. No, if, uh, absolutely If not. the war ends... And they can get back to producing their their crops and products as normal. There's still going to be significant disruption. 
in the marketplace for, for I, th- I would say, years to come. Yes, I would agree with that. So hitting right back again on oil, just a real quick headline here, U.S. crude oil inventories unexpectedly dropped last week. So uh, API reported yesterday that there was a wild swing in oil prices, but that was based upon supply fears as President Biden could reportedly be lifting a ban on major Chevron oil producer doing business in Venezuela. So uh, looking at what things could have in store for our future, the oil stocks fell, crude oil stocks fell by 2.4 million barrels last week. So a pretty big drop that seemed to be unexpected considering most of the predictions, economists were expecting an increase of 1.5 million barrels. So keep an eye on that side of it. And then sticking right on the weaning headline, it looks like the U.S. government is preparing a military package aid for India. We had talked a little bit about uh, Indian crops and their port shutdown yesterday. Now we're talking a place where the U.S. might help India release its dependence on Russian weapons in the form of creating another military partner as uh, with the United States government. So a larger initiative by President Joe Biden and his administration to court India as a long-term security partner, despite India's reluctance to criticize Russia. Obviously, they're taking advantage of the drastic move that the Indian government made yesterday, uh, but certainly another play in world economics that could affect our farmers here at home. But real quick here, Delaney, let's stop one more moment for a message from our partner this week. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, Tanner, before we get into our interview with Tim Bartle of the United Soybean Board, I wanted to just do a quick update here on market movement heading into the open this morning. And, you know, yesterday we were talking about in the overnights heading into opening session, we saw quite a bit of sell-off in the overnights. We're seeing that again today. However, yesterday during the actual trading session, we saw July Kansas City wheat futures put in a new contract high of 1379. So we're still continuing to see the bulls push forward there in the wheat markets. However, as I mentioned this morning, we are significantly lower in the wheat markets down about 26 cents in the Chicago wheat contract right now, uh, 32 cents in the hard red Kansas City contract. Corn slightly lower this morning and soybeans are actually slightly higher this morning. So we will see where the attention turns to when we open up this morning, but really still traders are going to be continuing to watch how much corn and soybean crop gets planted in the ground because um, that 50% benchmark is really a key area. We haven't hit it yet, but we'll be watching to see that, especially for states like Minnesota, the Dakotas, some of those fringe acres to see how those get planted. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it'll be uh, certainly something for us to pay attention to. But let's jump right into that conversation that we had to share with our listeners today.
Well, folks, we are joined today by Tim Bartle, a farmer from Rippy, Iowa. Tim, how are you doing today? Oh, doing pretty good. I'd like to be a little drier out. But... <laughs> yes, I, I agree. So tell our listeners who are not from Iowa, what portion of the state is Rippy, Iowa in and what kind of weather have you been having leading into planting season? Yeah, Ripley's about 45 miles northwest of Des Moines, so just slightly west of, of central Iowa. Uh, we've, it's been cold. It's been at least sporadically wet. Never, we haven't had a day yet that we really had decent planting conditions. I planted a little yesterday because I couldn't stand not, and I spent more time under the planter <laughs> digging mud out than putting seeds in the ground. Yeah, it seems to be a common theme for this pocket right here in central Iowa that we've shared with our listeners. There's spots to the west, spots to the north, to where, and spots to the south in the state of Iowa where people have been able to go, but been frustrating here close to home for all of us. Yep. So, with that, you mentioned you'd got some crops in the ground. Uh, it seems today you're with us because of your involvement uh, with soybean board. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started in that and what your role is? Yes, I'm a director on the on USB, the United Soybean Board, and I uh, been I've been uh, on the Iowa Soybean Association board for seven years. And a year and a half ago, got onto the, got onto USB. Always been kind of interested on what soybeans are doing throughout the industry and, and the different organizations. Um, actually, my father was very active for about 30 years in, in different between USB, ASA, American Soybean Association and Iowa Soybeans. So. There's a lot of good work being done by these organizations, and I wanted to be a part of it. And I was lucky enough to be selected for USB by um, then Secretary of Agriculture, Purdue. Okay, so you've been with USB doing your thing for a little while now, obviously, with uh, Vilsack in office currently now. But I know when we, Tanner and I, were at Commodity Classic, Tim, there was a lot of discussion at Commodity Classic, about this new sustainability report that was done in 2021. Can you tell us a little bit more about that report and your involvement or the USB's involvement in that? Sure. Um, first off, our checkoff dollars made this report possible. And the report is focused on showing consumers the modern production practices and advanced technology, technologies that today's soy Farmers are using to conserve land, water, energy, and other natural resources. The U.S. soy industry has established 2025 goals to protect our land from, or by reducing erosion and greenhouse gas emissions while increasing our energy efficiency. And in the past four decades, we have made significant progress on which to continue to build as the U.S. Soybean farmers are working towards those uh, 20, 25 goals. That's great. I like it to hear when there's goals in place. I'm always a, as a banker, I'm a measurable guy. I want to uh, set targets and see if we can reach them, uh, both personally and professionally. Uh, but what specific progress have you guys seen been made to date? Yeah, well, um, between 19, 
80 and 2020, the conservation efforts of the U.S. soybean farmer has made a lot of improvements. And just to give some numbers, land use efficiency has increased by 48% per bushel, irrigation water use efficiency by 60% per bushel, energy use efficiency by 46% per bushel, greenhouse gas emissions efficiency uh, by 43% per bushel, and soil conservation by 34% per bushel. But, you know, those those numbers are, there's a lot in the numbers there. I can say on our farm, um, we've seen a lot of the same benefits. However, uh, last couple of years, I wish I could talk on irrigation because we've been, we had been so dry, but that's the one thing that we, we can't do here in central Iowa. But we went no-till in 1993. And since that time, our, our yields have increased by over 50%. We use half the fuel we would if we had been conventional till. And we use less fertilizer because we strip till our, our corn. And with the no-till and, and cover crops, we use the water, water infiltration into the soil is much improved, which reduces runoff, helps eliminate water and wind erosion, and Im- improves water quality, which is, is very important. And it's also important to note that U.S. soybean farmers have improved soy production by 130% over this time using roughly the same amount of land. So Tim, I feel like a recurring theme that we've been talking about in agriculture, obviously as Russia-Ukraine plays out and we've had production issues in other places, you know, South America, India, even potentially here in the United States, you were just mentioning how it's, you're not getting planted. And there's a lot of farmers that are following that same trend. I hate to use the F word and I'm talking famine, but Obviously, that's one that's been thrown around a lot this year as we're trying to figure out how to do more with less. How positioned are we to help feed the world this year? And, and, you know, soy, especially, I feel like being a high quality protein has the ability to help with that potential looming problem. What are your thoughts on, on how we do that? How do we feed the world this year more than ever? Well, soybeans are definitely a key to a lot of things, protein, fats, everything. Soybeans are an amazing crop. Uh, our work through the soy checkoff not only does research, but also supports you as soy producers on uh, new conservation methods such as cover crops and has, has allowed us to put boots on the ground around the world to understand our customers and this has made the U.S. soybean farmer well-prepared to provide sustainable food, feed, and fuel for a growing population. And our checkoff continues to look ahead and plan strategically to offer solutions to some of society's biggest challenges, such as food security and sustainable energy. Really, the as far as, as famine, yeah, there's always a risk when you look at all the regions with issues, but the U.S. soybean farmer is very good at uh, at what we do, and we're committed to management practices that make the best use of land, water, and other natural resources, which strengthens our track record on sustainability. And that sustainability is is 
what makes the U.S. soybean farmer the best in the world. And we will produce, even with late planting, um, somehow the, the, the U.S. farmer always finds a way to, to make uh, good yields and high quality products to help ensure that there, there is no famine in the world. We've had the privilege uh, with interviews that have come across the technology that has evolved in soybean production. We're also very blessed here in the United States to have a variety of different climates compared to some other countries. So it's fun to talk to people that are growing soybeans across the country and know the importance of what a soybean can do to our not only food sources, but in also livestock feed. So Tim, uh, thank you so much for sharing examples of how the soy checkoff and U.S. soybean farmers continue to provide sustainable solutions for us here in the United States and people around the world. If somebody wants to learn more about soybeans or the United Soybean Board, how can they find you or uh, explore a little deeper? Yeah, well, the United Soybean Board is on, uh, you know, anything you can find with Google, I guess, but the U.S. Soy website is gives you a lot of information there's the meal website you can really find uh find find everything you you need on the internet i'm you know if anybody has questions or or wants to ask me something i'm i'm always always open to be contacted also so we're we try very very hard to you know everything we do is grassroots and we need everybody's support, hopefully, and we'll definitely give them all the information we can. Awesome. That is great. And listeners, if you want to find the report that we discussed today, go to ussoy.org. And we thank you, Tim, for your time this morning. Have a great day. All right. Thank you very much. I don't know anything about this conversation, so you might want to lead out of it. Yes, you do. You were on it. It's the guy you didn't like. Oh. oh. Can I can I say that? No. <laughs> no. All right, Delaney. Another great conversation. It's always fun getting exposure and meeting new people. It is. I agree, Tanner. And I have to say, did I take your breath away earlier? Because you didn't even know what to say when we were talking about the markets. Yeah, it's one of those factors that uh, I'm still learning, and you know. When you try to put it all into perspective, sometimes there isn't a lot that you have to say. Right. That's fair. I just, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to claim that I'm great at creating original thoughts. It's mostly that I read so much other market commentary and talk to a lot of farmers that I feel like that's kind of where I get some of the perspective I share on the podcast, but I'm by no right. means a broker or a trader. Yeah, do you need to put your disclosure in right now? Yeah, so, I should be. Yeah, so that uh, FTC doesn't come after us. Yeah. yeah, past performance is not indicative of future <laughs> results or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Uh, I like it. Well, we can cover our butts for one day and we'll be back tomorrow. But for now, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.